1: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. But first, we start with, speaking of housing, we'll talk about the BC government's here crackdown on short-term rentals, especially Airbnb. Now, the province saying quite simply, look, this housing that is currently being used for short-term rentals, primarily Airbnb, this ha- this housing has to be opened up for people who actually live here. Long-term residents, forget about short-term, so they have brought in super restrictive rules on Airbnb operations. We've got Doug O'Brien standing by to discuss the mayor of Parksville. Some people not happy about it including, have a listen to this here now. Now, this is Wendy Keeping. She was my guest on the show recently. She owns an Airbnb in Victoria, and she was following all the rules. She put a lot of money into buying this small, very tiny condo unit to rent out on Airbnb. Now they changed the rules on her. This is having a big impact on her. Have a listen.
0: I legally bought into this. The city said, yes, Wendy, you can have a legal right to do short-term rental. And now they're saying, "No, you can't do that anymore." Sorry. Well, now I can't afford to have that place anymore.
1: Yeah, so we've seen uh, other jurisdictions as well saying, "Hang on a second here. Don't lump everyone into the same category. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Doug O'Brien, the mayor of Parksville, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to this show. Mayor O'Brien, thank you for coming on today."
0: Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for uh including me on your show today. Yeah,
1: you're welcome thanks for doing it how many airbnbs or short-term rentals are there in parksville well
0: there's a number of airbnb uh short-term rentals in parksville mike but uh, specifically what parksville is looking for is an exemption for what we call a, a tourist commercial accommodation zone that contains 389 uh short-term rental zones and what this is is a purpose-built uh, uh, accommodation zone just in uh, part of parksville it's an area called resort drive and whereby it's uh, adjacent to the waterfront here in Parksville and it was built to boost our tourism accommodation um, all through the year, uh, which we were short of with a lack of motels and hotels. And so 10 years ago, it was all set up, and up until that time, uh, it's continued to operate and provides a year-round economy for the Parksville uh, uh, people. So what, yeah. what we have now is that these people that have invested, these are strata owners, uh, similar to your last speaker, yeah. uh, to, they have purchased these properties and they're not inexpensive properties, and uh, they're uh, put it into the uh, STR, short-term uh, rental pools, and uh, they will occasionally use them themselves to come to lovely Parksville for a summer vacation for a couple of weeks, but in the rest of the time to uh, justify their cost of their investment, they put it on the short-term rental platforms. And now the Parksville, or sorry, the provinces now said to Parksville that they want those units to be pulled out and be turned into long-term rental, which right. was not the attempt from the very start. And so unfortunately, the Minister of Housing has taken a rather hard line on it and suggested that we want to recover these units and put it back into long-term rental. Well the uh, argument from Parksville is that they were never in the long-term rental so you're not recovering anything and actually you're taking these people's investments that they spent a lot of money and worked hard for. yeah, no it's long-term it's a very it's a very clear
1: I appreciate the very clear description you just provided of the issue and it's it's precisely the same situation for Wendy keeping the the clip that we played at the start here in Victoria. Same deal, right? She bought this place, very small condo. She followed all the rules. She was told, you're allowed to do this. We actually want short-term rentals, so we can bring tourists here. So go ahead and buy this, operate it as a short-term rental, following all the rules. Like, we're not talking about people who are going under the table or not following the rules or not paying their fees, right? This is all legal,
0: Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. They they pay a lot of taxes, you know, to have this unit here in Parksville, you know, and uh, they they have followed all the rules and they have to pay the the rules, you know, for the strata fees and so forth. And so they would never. These are cottage style homes. They'd never be um, suitable for long term rentals, be, because they're they're set up, set up for vac- vacation style. And so yeah. It's, it's it's not not as if um, the, the people are going to be able to afford it, when you take the investment money. You couldn't afford to pay $5,000 a month um, to rent one of these units because they're for vacation. They're on the waterfront.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this is uh, what people are saying, that they're not suitable for long term anyway. This is for tourism. What are you hearing from people who own these Airbnbs, these short term rental units that are now being told, hey, you're not allowed to rent them out on, on Airbnb anymore? What are they telling you?
0: Well, oh, most, most of the uh, phone calls and so forth, they're starting off, they're crying, Mike. Right? They're absolutely crying because this is an investment. They're so sad that they invest in Parksville. And these are people throughout British Columbia. These are not uh, uh, rich developer entrepreneurs. These are mom paws that so were hoping to, you know, just boost their uh, investment income for when they retire. And so they're very upset. They think that the rug has been pulled out from them. Their entire life savings was put into this. And now the province is saying, no, you have to turn them into long-term rentals. And these people are not set up to be landlords. They don't want to put their properties into a long-term rental situation. And so they're very upset because if they they can't use it for short-term rental accommodation, receive that income, they're going to lose their places because they can't afford the mortgages.
1: Okay. Well, I guess the government is saying, well, if that's the case, all right, we've changed the rules on you. You're not allowed to rent this out on Airbnb anymore. So sell the place, sell it to someone
0: who's going to live there. Like, are people trying to sell these places now? Well, 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 they're hoping for a reprieve. They're hoping for common sense. They're hoping that the government actually does the right thing. They they, they thought that they were going to add to the uh, long-term rental market. And, and don't get me wrong, the rest of Parksville, where we have single-family dwell- dwelling zones and so forth, where these are being rented out as uh, short-term rentals, we have no problem converting those into a uh, long-term rental. This is a yeah. purpose-built uh, vacation accommodation zone. So this is what the people bought for. So we're we're, we're not denying the legislation. We're only asking for an exemption for this very small overall piece of Parksville where these people have uh, bought these units on a totally different premises. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Speaking to Doug O'Brien,
1: the mayor of Parksville about the Airbnb crackdown by the province. Now the provincial government here is well aware of this situation. You're not the only mayor. You're not the only official who is, who has advocated on behalf of these people who have invested in these properties and followed all the rules. There does not seem to be any willingness by the government to budge on this. Let me play a clip here for you. This is Premier David Eby. Now, BC United, the official opposition party here, had been calling for to relax some of these rules, that this went too far. Listen to David Eby's response here on relaxing this crackdown on Airbnb. doesn't seem like he's into it at all. Let's listen. They are trying to create loopholes for investors, which is who they represent. We do not represent investors. We represent the people of BC who are searching for a place to live, and we make no apologies for that. Okay, we do not represent real estate investors. We represent people who are living here permanently, people who actually live and work here in this province. That's who this government represents. That's what he's saying. What do you think of that? Because the people who did buy these units you're talking about, Mayor, they are they're property investors, right? This, these are investments.
0: It, it, um, to tell you the truth, like I had six people in my office yesterday, by uh, describing uh, this this move that they're making, and they're hurt. It's it's it. it they're actually they heard that comment uh, from uh, uh, Minister David Eby, and yeah. they, this little one lady said through her tears, she was telling me she says that's insulting. She said, "Look at her. You know, like I won't describe you how how old she is, but this is not a, 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 some investor that's trying to create wealth at, at the expense of rental accommodation. This is not that at all. These are regular people of BC that worked hard to, anyways, create this, and they've actually provided." Uh, investment dollars to create tourist accommodation that now boosts the uh, Parksville economy into a 12-month-old, econ- a 12-month year-round economy, whereby um, normally it would just be four, uh, four months out of the year. Now we have people in the service industry that are supplying all these purpose-built accommodations because now we have snowbirds out here from Manitoba and Alberta and Saskatchewan. They're staying in Parksville in the wintertime in these short-term rentals and they're boosting the entire economy and they've created a a whole new uh, stream of income for all of our businesses. So we're, we're not trying to take away any rental accommodation. And let's be absolutely clear here. The city of Parksville has an incredible amount of Rental housing, market rent, supported houses, and and uh, um, all, uh, all the social housing as well. We yeah. have a building boom going up here, and we have apartments going up everywhere. Worker housing, we're we're putting them in, in everywhere. So we're creating, I believe, more rental housing on Vancouver Island than any other municipality of our size. So okay. it's not as if we're fully on board. We recognize there's a housing crisis. I just came back to the UBCM housing summit. in uh in vancouver you know just yesterday and and i mean this was the big story we're all trying to do our best from the municipality but this is this is one other big part of parksville so i can continue to provide rental housing i need a strong parksville economy so that we can actually Mm -hmm. uh, pull our share and help out with this situation okay
1: we're following you closely thank you very much for coming on to talk about it
0: okay well thanks a lot mike for the opportunity
1: Talk about the huge police bust of illegal cigarettes now. This is the largest one-time seizure of contraband tobacco ever in B.C. It was the culmination of an, an investigation by the province's Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit. We had multiple cities involved here, multiple jurisdictions This is a long investigation, and man, the stuff that they seized here, incredible. Got Lindsey Houghton standing by to discuss. First, let's have a listen to his colleague here. This is Sergeant Brenda Winpenny, Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, outlining all the evidence and contraband that was seized here in this massive bust. Have a listen.
0: 32 firearms. They include handguns, assault rifles, and shotguns, a large amount of ammunition, body armor, 10 pallets of contraband liquor, 35 pallets of contraband tobacco, and to put that into perspective, that's the equivalent of 11.9 million individual cigarettes with an estimated retail value of $11 million. Approximately half a kilogram of cocaine, 80 kilograms of marijuana, a hydraulic cocaine press and other items of drug paraphernalia associated with drug trafficking eight vehicles including a stolen porsche cayenne and a speedboat
1: and a speedboat there at the end yeah that is quite a haul let's discuss it now with my guest staff sergeant lindsey houghton from the combined forces special enforcement unit staff sergeant thanks for coming on Good morning mike thanks Thank you for doing this. It's really, it, it's quite astonishing to listen to the list there of all this stuff, the contraband and evidence that is seized here in this bus. And then when you think about, you know, cigarettes being seized in a massive amount, liquor, contraband liquor as well. It almost sounds like the old school bootlegging days. Maybe we don't realize how big this, uh, this tobacco, illegal tobacco trade is. What can you say about that? It is massive. Yeah, it is massive. You know, I, I
2: went and I went and stood in the warehouse where all of these pallets of contraband tobacco and cigarettes were seen and I've never been in a warehouse quite as big, and I've never been in and around legal uh, cigarettes. Uh, you know, picture thirty-five six by six uh, wooden pallets filled with cigarettes. Like it's, it was impressive, and and it's a lot of cigarettes and. You know, a uh, shout-out to our colleagues with the Ministry of Finance and their Investigation Division who partnered with us on this. We not have done it without them and, and their support. And, and they they oversee the illegal contraband tobacco here in, in British Columbia. And, you know, they tell us that this is, um, this is millions and millions of dollars of lost revenue for the province. And ultimately, you know, we, we know that there are connections to gangs and organized crime. They're the people that facilitate this, and and you know the, the the lost revenue we're told comes out of the government coffers, and and that's revenue that would go to preventing young people from smoking, into infrastructure support and those kinds of things. So it's really important that that we not only target organized crime individuals and, and groups, but also Uh, By targeting them in this way, it helps support our communities around the province by getting legal revenue back into the system, hopefully.
1: Right. But man, when you describe the, the scale of this thing, 11, over 11 million individual cigarettes filling up that warehouse there. Boy, this is just a, just a huge bust here of, of illegal tobacco. What can you say about this investigation? How did police get onto this? And it sounds like it was a very sort of long investigation that went underway. And when did you become aware that, okay, this is some major heavyweight organized crime behind this here?
2: Yeah, we first got uh, we first got tips back in August of 2023, so not that long ago. Sometimes uh, gang and organized crime investigations take a little while for us to build up some evidence to be able to support things like search warrants and, and that kind of thing. But this investigation progressed pretty quickly. But what it did do is it led us to many different cities around the province. Here in the Lower Mainland, we were in Langley and Abbotsford and Surrey, but it also took us over to Victoria on Vancouver Island, So, you know, it just speaks to the reach and the networks that these organized crime groups have with the contraband, whether it's illegal tobacco or cocaine, fentanyl, methamphetamine, those kinds of things. They all have different commodities, and sometimes they have multiple commodities. But over that sort of five or six months, it progressed to where uh, we went before a justice, and we were able to get seven search warrants, and we executed those on January 24th and 25th of this year. And that's when we came across this massive haul of contraband tobacco and uh, a, a lot of guns and assault-style rifles and body armor. And, you know, not just tobacco, but cocaine and marijuana and, and the full, sort of the whole buffet of illegal things that you might expect a gang and organized crime group to have.
1: Yeah, and, and also 10 pallets of contraband liquor as well. Yeah. So we got contraband tobacco, contraband liquor filling this warehouse. How is this stuff Trafficked? How do they turn around and sell this stuff for a profit? You, you often hear that. Well, a lot of this happens on First Nations land or Indigenous reserves. Is that is that, is that what happens here? This stuff gets trafficked and sold on on uh, on uh, First Nations reserves.
2: It's everywhere. It's not it's not just um, you know reserves. It, it's it's really everywhere in our communities. It goes to small towns and cities, and uh, you know a lot of it goes through these organized crime networks. And it, it'll much like you know, cocaine or, or, or fentanyl and those kinds of things, it gets it gets moved down the chain and then sold in much smaller batches. It's, you know, it's very hard to sell, uh, you know, one semi-full of, of contraband tobacco. Those will get cut down into cartons and, and individual little packages, much like the, the liquor does. Um, you know, I was there, I, I looked at the liquor, it, it was a mix of vodka, uh, and and beer and and vodka drinks and, and those kinds of things. So it wasn't just one kind of thing. These are things that'll get stepped down, and, and they'll they'll be sold, you know, off the back of a truck. They'll be sold in booze cans. They'll be sold to kids in school because you know they they can't get liquor unless they go to the liquor store. So you know it's it it's far reaching, and and it's really unfortunate that we have individuals in our society who want to take advantage of the most vulnerable. And, and we all know, you know, the the impact that tobacco has had on the health of our communities. You know, my, my dad smoked for many years and he, he died of cancer. And so, you know, yeah. and my story you know, similar to thousands and hundreds of thousands of others. And, you know, anything that we can do, it, you know, a lot of people might think, oh, you know, target cocaine or target the guns and those kinds of things. But, you know... Tobacco kills people, too. And and we need to do everything we can to take those profits out of these organized crime groups, because that money that's going back into them, whether it's the sale of tobacco or cocaine, is fueling the violence in our communities.
1: Okay, what about the charges? We got arrests and charges here. What can you say about that? We got four people arrested here. Yeah, four people were arrested,
2: three men and one woman. Uh, they were released pending further investigation. Uh, you know, a lot of the work now has to be done to put together what we call our disclosure packages and our report to Crown Council. And we've been in touch with Crown Council right from the beginning. Charges will come, and and those can range from uh, anywhere from uh, firearms related and and you know controlled substance like the cocaine and things like that, but also with the contraband tobacco and and that kind of stuff. There's There's a whole list of charges that Crown will have sort of at their disposal to be able to lay, and and we're really looking forward to being able to announce those charges in the near future.
1: Speaking to Staff Sergeant Lindsay Houghton, Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit on this historic bust of illegal tobacco in British Columbia, charges pending here as an investigation continues. Uh, After the break here, Staff Sergeant, I'll be talking about another Bust that happened in Victoria. This is an even bigger one, $30 million fentanyl trafficking bust that has now collapsed and fallen apart because of some misconduct by officers there involved in that. Um, You know, this is very, that's a very disturbing development and story. How important is it? Here you got another one. Here's a separate investigation illegal tobacco, 11 million bucks worth. How important is it for police? To make sure that these investigations are rock solid, so they stand up in court,
2: that is one of the most important things that we have to consider in our profession. It's the integrity of our of our profession. It's the it, it speaks to the, our ethics and our oath of office. And and I can tell you, you know, at CFSU, we're very disappointed to learn. Of the development of the Victoria Police's investigation. And, you know, I I know the men and women that I work with never want to hear of a headline like
1: this in our careers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're following it all very closely. Thank you for coming on to talk about this today. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. All right. We talked about that $11 million illegal tobacco bust there in Metro Vancouver. Boy, that is a huge case there. Let's talk about another huge bust here that is now unraveled. Now, this is a $30 million fentanyl trafficking bust that went down in 2020. This case now is completely collapsed. Uh, The charges have been stayed In this case, after police bungling here uh, a B.C. Supreme Court judge ruling that a disgraced former police officer who had been under police investigation had been involved here and authorities tried to hide that from uh, the Crown and others. I got Rob Rothwell standing by to discuss the collapse of this case. First, though, let's go into the Wayback Machine here. 2020, this is the, at the time they announced this bust. Victoria Police Department Chief Del Mannick.
3: This operation successfully targeted the top of the fentanyl trafficking pyramid in British Columbia.
1: There's a $30 million fentanyl bust back in 2020 and man that was a record-setting uh, investigation as well now this case is lies and tatters let's listen to the chief again speaking this week here after this case fell apart
3: now it's clear that there were several points of failure in our processes and i apologize for our contribution to this outcome
1: Man, this is like a shocking, uh, that this case is unraveled in this manner. Let's discuss with my guest now, Rob Rothwell, former superintendent of the Vancouver Police Department. Rob is the author of the book, 33 years, the unfiltered memoir of a cop. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Rob, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Hey Rob, when you hear a story like this, like I remember when that fentanyl bust was made back in 2020, I think a lot of the listeners will recall that too. Boy, there was a lot of celebration at that time, and this was like a huge bust of this deadly drug. Here, it's killing so many people, and now it unravels, and you got the accused guys just walking away. Here, what do you th- what went through your mind when you heard this thing? and unraveled like this.
3: Well, it's really disheartening, you know, um, because I know that the officers uh, put a tremendous amount of work into that file. And uh, I think, though, you know, as, as we both know uh, at this point, the uh, police commissioner has ordered an investigation into those circumstances. So I don't want to get ahead of that investigation. Uh, we need to sit back and, and just find out uh, the results of that and what went wrong. But there are a few things I think that uh, you know we should keep in mind, and that is that the police, uh, you know, they they are in possession of this information on this group that uh, is obviously at the top of the fentanyl pyramid, as as it was described. And you just can't sit back with that information and do nothing. Uh, and, uh, you know, as you know, after the initial investigation that lasted for about a month uh, was shut down, uh, you know, the police still have this information. And it's, there is a concern for public safety there, which really does guide all the decisions that the police typically make in an operation like this. And i don 't know how you can sit back and not reinvestigate. and so you 've got to jump back in and, uh, and they did that, and quite successfully in terms of removing thirty million dollars worth of fentanyl and an arsenal of weapons uh, from the community, which you know may save countless lives uh, to, uh, you know, where people may not be overdosing on uh, that strain of fentanyl uh, and so you know as difficult as it was to hear the news and to try and uh, understand what happened. Uh, I still do applaud the officers for their work and for the outcome uh, because they have made the community much safer, despite the fact that, you know, things went off the rails and we don't exactly know how or why uh, until this investigation is completed. But, um, you know, there is still some success there. I think uh, that the, the community should take some solace and, and feel, you know, some, some um, assurance that uh, the streets are somewhat safer.
1: Taking a look at the court ruling here and and the charges stayed against the accused, the three accused here in this case. So there was this po- vic- former Victoria police officer named Rob Ferris who was involved in the early stages of this investigation, which began in June of 2020. And the or that's when police said it originally claimed the judge determining that it had started earlier than that. And according to the judge, they were trying to hide the involvement of this particular officer who had earlier been under investigation for criminal behavior himself. So he had been under investigation for breach of trust and obstruction of justice. And it seems like, according to this ruling, that authorities tried to hide the fact that he was involved in it. And that's why these, these three accused are now walking. What do you think of that decision by this judge to throw this case out? Like, do you think that's reasonable? to throw this entire case at, like, a $30 million fentanyl trafficking bust because one cop has been was involved for a month?
3: Yeah, it's really difficult to, to comprehend and, and, you know, to accept. Um, I wish there was an alternative, uh, some sort of compromise that could be reached uh, rather than throwing the baby out with the bathwater in this case. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know exactly what uh, the justice had in mind in doing so. Uh, clearly, you know, it's the uh, protection of the the, the uh, justice system in doing that. And, of uh, you know, and, that, and, and that's great, and I understand the principle that you know, many innocent people or many guilty people may walk free to prevent somebody uh, from being unjustly convicted. But it, right. is, uh, it is disheartening, and I wish there was a compromise, and I don't know if there's any opportunity for appealing this to uh, the Court of Appeal. Um, Hopefully there may be, but uh, nonetheless, you know, there will come a day when those individuals will find themselves uh, under arrest again and and hopefully convicted. But uh, in the interim, uh, the fentanyl and the weapons have been removed from the community, which I think is a big plus.
1: Rob, thanks for coming on. You bet.